Welcome back to the Policy Wonk Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Kale. What, what's going on in the world today, Kale? So today, first off, we're going to start with a story from Cleveland. The Lawmakers, crown jewel of the Midwest. Very incorrect. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can name six better cities than Cleveland. Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland. No. Cleveland, Cleveland. No. Circleville, Ohio. Oh. Youngstown, Ohio. Toledo. Canton, Ohio. The entirety of Wyandotte County. Sure. But anyways, <laughs> there has been a proposal. It was made, I think, in 2021. Mm-hmm. It's the first time people really started talking about it. To build a land bridge connecting downtown Cleveland, going over the highway, to Lakefront. What are your thoughts, Joe? Big fan. Um, <laughs> big fan. Big fan. It's a pedestrian bridge, not a, not a car bridge. People would walk across it. There'd be benches, and it would be quite nice, actually. In general, and I know we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but Cleveland has been so far behind on development of the lakefront. It's really pathetic. Um, You know, seeing what Chicago has done and Detroit has done over the past, like, I don't know, 20 years or so, really just puts Cleveland to shame. I mean, the only, like, lakefront development we've had is... Probably Edgewater. Edgewater. That's probably about it. Because the rest of it's taken up by uh, Burke Lakefront Airport, mm-hmm. uh, enemy of the pod. Enemy of the pod. You know, now Cleveland Browns Stadium and the Science Center and then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's just not a lot of like actual pedestrian usage by the lake. You would have to go like down ninth all the way to the pier to, yeah. get, to get there. But even then, you're really just by... There's like that little park there and there's a restaurant, but it's really just like to get to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And so currently, like the lakefront and I guess down the rest of downtown Cleveland is divided by the Shoreway Highway and then rail tracks from Amtrak and RTA tracks. Mm-hmm. And basically what this land bridge would do is connect the downtown area to the lakefront, which is a good idea, obviously, because it's increasing pedestrian traffic in general downtown which you know still hasn't recovered to pre-covid levels Mm -hmm. we're still struggling to try to get people back into the city so you know creating more development especially lakefront development is going to be essential to you know bringing people back out downtown and also giving people stuff to just do downtown in general Mm -hmm. for people that already live here the funding for this is included in the state's $95 billion budget. So in total, it gives the city uh, $62 million for the project in general. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much is going to come from the city specifically or whoever the developer is going to be of the project. What, now, the budget, don't please don't look at the state budget. You will literally fall asleep. I it, mean, until you get to the part where there's a TikTok ban. That's true. But... <laughs> On that, there's just a ton of stuff in it that's just not related to even budgeting. But uh, also included in the $95 billion budget is a billion-dollar tax cut, generally, uh, $1 billion to fund public schools across the state, and an expansion of the private voucher system. Um, (laughs) And as Kale said, also a TikTok ban. (laughs) There's a TikTok ban in in the House budget. But, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be so awesome to have this built. And it looks like it is getting built finally. Um, uh, the state rep for the, our district here 
is uh, Bride Rose Sweeney. Yeah. And I think she's on the finance committee, and she's very, very passionate about getting this project built because mm-hmm. of the things we've just talked about, like increasing pedestrians, people coming into the city, things like that. It would be, it would just be kind of cool too. <laughs> yeah. Like it would just be really cool to walk over the highway in a like grassy area because like the photos, the concept art has grass, it has other types of like plants and seeding and stuff like that. There's a, another part of this where, like, stakeholders in the community, specifically the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is mm. super on board with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president of uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Greg Harris, uh, said, uh, we look forward to the rest of the budget process and appreciate the support demonstrated by the Ohio House for this important project as we prepare to welcome our next 14 million visitors and continue to generate over $225 million per year in economic impact. Now. We talk a lot about how, you know, pedestrian focused infrastructure not only is going to support like existing economic drivers like the Rock Hall or Cleveland Brown Stadium, Mm -hmm. um, but also it's going to increase economic revenue. Even when you just like build stuff that isn't just being used for industry or commercial, because it's a land bridge. It's not, you know, you're not going to zone anything on there. God, I hope not. Yeah, that'd be easy. I mean, there's certain... I'm, I would have put it past city council to do something crazy like that, but... But it'll be so cool in the summer when it's nice out to have that there to just hang out. Imagine the breeze. Because it, it goes over the Shoreway Highway. Yeah. And while uh, Burke Lakefront Airport is an enemy of the pod... Enemy of the pod. Um, If that, for whatever reason, decides to stay open after this land bridge is finished... I mean, it'd be a good view of the air show. It would be a great view of the air show. Yeah. So, completely lost my train of thought. Silly goose. Completely lost it. So, the state budget also has in it a like chunk of money to renovate the Rock Hall as well. Oh, I didn't. I didn't hear about that. It does. It's actually. Um, in this article from Channel uh, 5 News, Cleveland, that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is also supposed to be renovated. So Cleveland Brown Stadium getting renovated, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame being, getting renovated, this land bridge being built. Cleveland's going to be the place to be. Quite frankly, the crown jewel of the Great Lakes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all jokes aside, um, it's really, it is so nice to finally see Cleveland start to kind of live up to its potential i mean you know chicago's really come a long way since the the 80s detroit has come so far in redefining itself since industry left Mm -hmm. detroit and cleveland's really struggled to do that and now it's finally happening i mean very late don't get me wrong it's way too late for this to be happening but i'm glad it finally is and that people in the community and local politicians you know, in Cleveland, but also Columbus are finally recognizing, like, hey, there's something here and we have to capitalize on it. Because, mm-hmm. like, Lake Erie is the state's biggest a- biggest asset. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's dumb that all of the lakefront development and tourism and, like, the like Cleveland State students, they're like, oh, you want to go to the lake? You don't go to the little park by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You go to, like, Edgewater. You go all the way out to Menor or Lakewood yeah. to go be on the water. It's it would be pretty exciting 
to see some sort of development here in downtown where I can just walk yeah. as a student here. And, you know, it also expands opportunities for our favorite thing ever, public transit. Public transit. Um, and, yeah, and since there will hopefully be more foot traffic now, we can justify things like expanding service on the RTA lines, expanding RTA at some point in the future. Can reopen. Um, can finally reopen fucking waterfront, waterfront line <laughs> there's that there's a station right there isn't there yeah like on ninth mm-hmm. and uh yeah this is very welcoming and i'm super excited to finally see this get started because i remember reading about it years ago so it's gonna be awesome what's up next kale what's going on in the state of ohio so let's move down to columbus mm. to share with everybody some very unfortunate news the committee tasked with hjr1 which is the 60% Constitutional Amendment Bill, mm-hmm. or resolution, rather. Forced a vote today, and it, it passed through the committee, and it's now on its way to a vote on the House floor. So I saw the video earlier, and I saw that there were over 100 people waiting to give testimony mm-hmm. about it, and the committee totally, even with the objection of Allison Rousseau, just steamrolled over that and uh, voted on it and sent it out of committee anyways, Mm -hmm. which is so, honestly, it's bullshit. Heinous. It's heinous. Vile. Anti-democratic. Small D democratic, not even anti-democrat. Yeah. But it's so, I mean, the 60% threshold in general is bullshit anyways. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact that Republicans in the state house are just steamrolling over public sentiment and just ignoring people's opinions about things is just so it's so it's infuriating honestly it's not even frustrating it makes me it makes me angry so what what's interesting when they forced the vote there were like you said there was an objection from Allison Rousseau and like the people who were there were very unhappy mm-hmm. so when the vote happened they started chanting things like shame shame and we're going to play a audio clip from the committee hearing today. Representative Swanton. Yes. Representative Brown. No. Representative Thomas. I agree. Shame. It's very, very, very anti-democratic. Yeah. This whole proposal is such bullshit again. It doesn't make sense. Multiple states have tried to do this. Missouri, I, I think it's mostly Republican states. <laughs> In states that do have popular like referendums as an option for voters to pass policy, Republican-controlled states have tried to implement either like a 55% threshold or a 60% threshold. And thankfully, they have all been shot down by voters over, overwhelmingly in super conservative states like Missouri. And, you know, I hope the same thing happens here because we'd have to approve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so absurd because I think it also just goes against the basic ideals of just democracy in general. Democracy is 50 plus one. It's not 60. It's not 55. It's the majority. We're, we're getting into a kind of a rut 
with minority rule mm-hmm. and not and not even just in Ohio, just in general. We could argue about the Electoral College someday and how that helps further entrench minority rule, but that's not how democracy works. Yeah. And neither is the 60% threshold, and it's just so dumb. It's even more dumb because every day I hop on Twitter, and what do I see? I see Frank LaRose tweeting anything he can trying to get popular support of this thing. And I honestly... If it were up to the voters, like if they do do the stupid thing where they have an August election to try to get this passed, mm-hmm. I don't think we would pass it. I don't think we would. I mean, it's a lot of just wish casting, I guess, mm-hmm. that we would not vote for it. But there's just one. This isn't in the appetite of voters, period. People, this is not on anyone's radar that, you know, this absurd claim by the Secretary of State and other Republicans that, Outsider, you know, dark money groups from the West Coast and the East Coast are influencing our congr- our uh, constitutional elections, and we need to stop it. Okay, one, just put campaign finance limits on outside yeah. groups. That's the actual solution. Two, um, that's not happening. Like, it's literally just not happening. If anything, J.D. Vance was funded by the West Coast and yeah. stuff. And I mean, and exactly, there's this double standard that suddenly, when, frankly, liberal groups get you know money from i don't know new york california oregon wherever that's bad that's really bad but when conservative groups get money from peter Thiel and their tech bros and crypto bros out in silicon valley oh that's different it's fine that's different it's absurd it's nuts it's nuts it's nuts and you know like you said about minority rule i mean the state's already under minority rule because of our gerrymandered congressional and state legislative maps. And now you're going to let 40% of voters dictate policy where, oh, you need 60% of voters to change the law, but only 40% can decide. Oh, no, we actually don't want that. We. We. Put that. It's just, it's so absurd. It's so absurd. So the reason why I don't think this would pass if it were up to the voters is one how many people were there expressing like how stupid this bill was to the point where the committee said the only people who were invited to speak can speak and then even then people who were invited to speak weren't given the opportunity to speak because mm-hmm. they forced a vote today but another reason is i'm looking at an article right now on my laptop called hjr1 is a slap in the f- in voters faces you know where it came from joe where the Circleville Herald. Where's Circleville? Circleville is a small town. It's a city, but still. Mm-hmm. Small town, rural America in Pickaway County, Ohio. Pickaway County is the county directly to the south of Franklin County, and it is a, it is a county where J.D. Vance won with 70.9% of the vote, according to Politico. A supermajority, some may say. Some may say. <laughs> and people in Pickaway County are against this bill or this resolution because of how blatantly anti-democratic it is. Yeah. And this is also something that can like backfire on Republicans. Like say they want to do an abortion ban and they put it up to the voters. It's only going to get maybe, maybe 50, 51% of the vote. Mm -hmm. It's not going to pass. This is just, it's, it's political chess and it's ridiculous and stupid and you should not vote Republican next November. The, you know, and I think it is going to backfire at some point because Republicans have gerrymandered themselves in power for so long 
and have not faced any real opposition for so long that now they're infighting. I don't know if anyone paid attention to what happened with the speaker's vote. The three-party system of yeah. Ohio. You know, Democrats don't have, can't command any real legislative power in the House or the state Senate. Mm-hmm. So you know what they did? Well, they do, Joe. They split the Republican caucus. And it's, I mean, honestly, I hate to, <laughs> I hate to you know, poke fun. But it's really funny to see the Republicans bickering because they haven't faced real opposition for so long and mm-hmm. have gone so far off the deep end to the right wing that now they're vo- viewing the most conservative people in their own party as rhinos because they don't want to go totally nuts. Yeah. And, you know, HJR1 will probably backfire in their faces if, God forbid, the 60% amendment threshold passes. You could also argue that it won't backfire. I know. I mean, I I believe that it'll backfire. You believe yeah. that it'll backfire, but with a supermajority and secure gerrymandered seats, they can just get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, I think one example you could see it's a little different, but in Florida, so Florida used to have a law that prohibited the governor from running for president and staying the governor. You know what the Florida legislator did, they repealed that law because they like Ron DeSantis. They're all buddies down there. They're all buddies. Everyone from Florida knows everyone from Florida. (laughs) And again, it's this continual drift towards illiberal democracy. It's democratic backsliding right in our backyard, right in our home. Ohio, the Florida of the Great Lakes? Don't say it. I'm going to, I don't want to think about it. That was the original topic of Michael Eady's Vindicator oh, article. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, political director, special guest, Michael Eady. Do you have anything else about HR1 you want to say? I have a lot about HR1. So much. I have so much about this. It's so ridiculous. It's painful. But let's move on, Joe. Let's talk about some national news. So let's backtrack. All the way to November 2020. The year of our Lord. The <laughs> November of 2020. What happened on election day 2020 and the weeks that came after it? I remember election week. It's like one of the most vivid memories I have mm-hmm. because, one, I was actually out all day um, on election day you know, canvassing for our local candidates and also, you know, President Biden. Pounding the pavement. Um, yeah, and I was standing outside, you know, uh, voting locations, handing out sample ballots, encouraging voters, you know, you know, vote. Here you go. I remember going home, turning on the news. Typical states were called New York, Vermont. Uh, conservative states were called South Carolina, Kentucky, West Virginia. And then... Days started to go by. Days. We had to wait for mail-in ballots to be counted. And then election day, votes to be counted. For a moment, I thought Joe Biden was going to win Ohio. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Unfortunately. But not because the election was stolen, but because mail-in ballots were counted first, and then election day votes were counted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is just how it broke down. Uh, Mail-in ballots favored democrats because they were way they were more likely to vote by mail 
because they're just they trusted the process more than Republican voters. And then I remember Fox News promoting the idea that somehow Joe Biden and the Democrats were trying to steal the election. And they promoted that idea a lot. And I heard it got them in trouble with a certain voting company. Oh, really? Like like Dominion, maybe? A very large voting company. <laughs> it was defamatory. It was it is literally defamation because they the Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, the whole cabal of them, literally admitted on text, Oh yeah, this is bullshit. We're, they said it anyways. They just kept per, put like pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. I it's it's one thing to be a greedy asshole, right? Mm-hmm. You can be greedy. Whatever, you do you. They did it in such a way that's so comically <laughs> evil that it's like, how did you ever expect to get away with this? You know? And you could argue that they didn't get away with it. And they didn't. Why is that, Kel? Because Dominion sued Fox News. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the night, it felt like they were having talks and they reached a settlement. According to, this is NBC, because we don't consume Fox News we media. We do not consume Fox News here. I, I, I'm curious to see what they have to say, because it's like big news. Yeah. But anyways, $787.5 million settlement. Unfortunately, the settlement does not include, at least right now, an apology or Fox News admitting that they defamed, defamed Dominion. Actually, for a short aside, I'm looking at Fox News's front page website right now. There is not <laughs> a single mention of the settlement. There mm. is a, a feature story about Disney called Villain in Disguise. Ooh. Uh, stuff about the border, making fun of Don Lemon, Don Lemon uh, weird stuff about trans people. The usual. Um, a good guy with a gun story. Mm. Um, and it's almost the, like we just talked about that. Yeah, and another, you know, it's typical Fox News stuff, totally burying the fact that they had to settle with Dominion for defamation. It's very interesting. So the trial was about to start, and honestly, here at Policy Wonk, we were excited. I really wanted them to just go all out. It would have been quite epic to be able to hear and whatever, like listen to the the court proceedings or at least like follow live coverage on like New York times or Politico Mm -hmm. stuff like that. That just would have been really fun. But unfortunately they reached a settlement. And at the same time, I'm glad they reached a settlement because if the case went through and they made a decision, then there was, it could have been appealed. And then honestly, it could have made its way to the Supreme court and, I don't think we trust the Supreme Court to not do something ridiculously crazy yeah. with the First Amendment. I Especially Clarence Thomas. <laughs> God, that, that could be a whole separate episode. Who knows what he could have done him. with that. But I remember originally they were suing Fox News for like one and a half billion dollars. Yeah. Like a lot of money that not even Fox News or like Rupert Murdoch could afford. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 780. $87 million is not Trump change, even for a large, you know, media empire like Fox News. But I really hope that they, they have to issue an apology. 
that is that was my biggest wish of this is that I wanted to see Tucker Carlson go on primetime TV during his regular show and say, look, what we said to you about the election in 2020 was not true. We lied. And that would have given me so much joy. So much serotonin. That I would literally watch that every single day for the rest of my life. It would have been it would have been like a special story on policy walk. Like we would have had a special. Yeah. To talk strictly about that. And it would have been it would have been awesome. It would have been so, so epic. But alas. Yeah. So Joe, was the election stolen? Uh no. No? I'm wasn't. not even gonna make a joke about it. The election was so, not stolen. I'm asking you as an American citizen, you are representing Policy Wonk Productions as a company, small business, whatever we are, whatever we are. We don't make money, but whatever we are. Was the twenty twenty election rigged? No. Now I'm asking Donald Trump, was the twenty twenty election rigged? Look, quite frankly, we're we're winning. We're winning by a lot. Maybe some would say big, bigly numbers. You know, we need to find 11,000 votes in Georgia. And, Can you say nuclear? And we will, we will go all nuclear. Mm, you did it better than he could. We'll go all out nuclear if, uh, quite frankly, we don't win the great state of California, which I won, probably, maybe by a lot. So, I mean, you could argue that this settlement not in the eyes of the courts, because I don't think that's how evidence works. But in the eyes of the public, you could argue that this settlement argues against Trump's argument that the election was stolen. You could also argue that this settlement is a, can be used against Donald Trump in regards to January 6th. Yeah. I mean, I think in like, uh, do you mean in like... In, in like the court of public opinion. I mean, yeah, you could use it against him. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty, like, doomer about stuff about Trump in the sense of uh, people literally don't care. His, yeah, his base will always be his true. base. Fox News viewers will always be Fox News viewers. And if they decide to not be, they're not watching MSNBC or CNN. They're going to Newsmax. They're going to watch Steve Bannon's pandemic war room. Yeah, the crazy, I call them maggots, M-A-G-A, lowercase t-s. Mm-hmm. But the real crazy ones who don't watch Fox News, they don't watch it, not because it's crazy, but because it's not crazy enough. Yeah, they think it's too liberal, right? I saw, you know, this is how, this is how they operate. I mean, a, a pro Ron DeSantis pack called Donald Trump a social democrat yeah. the other day. That's absurd. We're social democrats. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> but I also think the, like, the jury selection was also kind of a concern maybe for dominion because you can get weird people on juries you can get some really weird people on juries especially trying to find a jury of people that just didn't pay attention to what's happened in the last three years at all it's just really crazy and i don't know if it was if they made this uh settlement because they just wanted the payment for actual damages or if they were trying to prove a point but i don't know yeah, I'm curious to see if whether or not they actually had a case against Fox. Because for to win a defamation case, yeah. you have to prove that there were economic damages. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm 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 curious to see if Dominion actually lost money. I don't think that they did 
considering the only people who purchase from Dominion is our governments. I mean, like states. They would definitely have like lost a lot of money. I mean, there were definitely counties across the country that stopped using Dominion systems or decided not to buy Dominion systems. Wow. I didn't know that. That's crazy. I mean, and not because that these governments are, you know, boards of elections, you know, didn't they, it's not like that they believe that Dominion was changing votes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's because they're not, they don't want to deal with the public policy or the public relations disaster that that would be when you announce, yeah, we just purchased Dominion voting systems after there was just a capital riot. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were definitely economic damages, especially for government contractors. Those, those contracts are just money machines for right. these companies. And that's their main mode of. Um, profit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be buying like a ballot counter or a ballot scanner. <laughs> You're telling me you don't want one in your room? No. Well, that would be really funny. That would be a story. But you know, the people that are buying these are the board of elections. Actually, honestly, that's it. Yeah, that's probably that it. is their customer base. Maybe and, foreign boards of elections too, but yeah, probably not. Honestly, they do sell internationally. I was looking at their website. Is it the same system? I mean, there's probably caveats just because of different... Just because of different electoral systems. Yeah. But, yeah. There was... They definitely... I think they totally had a case. I just think maybe it was because you never know how a jury's going to rule, especially in a weird case like this. Mm-hmm. I'm happy it didn't go to the Supreme Court, but I'm a little disappointed. So, Joe, let's, let's continue and talk about some more national news. What happened in Oklahoma recently? So, I saw that a local journalist left a, you know, like a voice recorder in one of the county offices because he thought that they were having meetings off the record. And boy, was he right. Yeah. What did they say in those meetings, Kale? So this audio clip that we're going to play comes from KGNS Plus, which is a local news station. Are you kidding me? Not only did they talk about, I guess, the glory days, which was back when people lynched people. Yeah, they were talking about lynching black people. Yeah. They also talked about killing reporters mm-hmm. and burying them. Hiring hitmen, burying reporters. You know, and this is in Oklahoma. This state has a detailed, long history mm-hmm. with the murder and lynching of black people, but also Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And I know some people will probably say, oh, that's, that's Oklahoma, right? It's a conservative state. We know how it is. But no, these are elected officials. And I think it, it is totally reasonable to say how many other elected officials in that state, but also maybe in other states, think like that. And what conversations are they having off the record? Right. That's, it's, it, it's more than nuts. I'm not going to give them the privilege of saying it's nuts for them. Mm-hmm. But Oklahoma is the state where the 
1921 Tulsa race massacre happened. Yeah. So what glory days does Oklahoma have when they used airplanes to bomb people, specifically black people? I guess to him, lynching black people is the glory days. He said that if you could still do those things to people, he would run for sheriff. And here's the thing. This gets into the conversation about systemic racism in this country Mm -hmm. and how people absurdly claim that it's not an issue anymore. No. No, it is. And this is proof of that. Mm -hmm. And just because it's in Oklahoma doesn't mean it's a, oh, it's an Oklahoma issue or, oh, it's a South issue. No, it's an issue systemically and it has to be addressed. And we can't just keep doing nothing about it. I mean, there are racist people everywhere, all over the country. Mm -hmm. And those people run for office. Colorado, blue state, for the most part. Lauren Boebert's from Colorado. Yeah. I mean, another example is, again, allegedly, do not want to get in any kind of dispute with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. No, because they're like the third largest military in the world. But there are, allegedly, allegedly, members of that Sheriff's Department that are part of a neo-Nazi group in California. This is an issue everywhere. Just because you live in a blue state does mm-hmm. not mean this affects you. Just because you live in a blue city does not mean that it's not happening there. Because it is. Again, in Cleveland, our city's police department is under, I guess, watch, or I think it's a consent decree, by the Department of Justice. Yeah, the feds. Because the city's police department has been found in violation of so many civil rights and abuses of power that the DOJ has to oversee the department. And this isn't even a statement like about just policing. It's that there is a st- systemic issue in this country that no one's really paying attention to, and it affects all of us, regardless of if you're white or if you're black or if you're Hispanic, if you're an American citizen or you're an immigrant. If you live in the city or you live in the suburbs or rural America, this is affecting you whether you see it or not. Mm-hmm. I know, I think the county clerk resigned. The county commissioner. The county commissioner resigned. He's okay. the one that said he would uh, run for sheriff, I believe. And that's what's so concerning is that these people would feel, they're starting to feel emboldened because, you know, racism, to be outwardly racist isn't socially acceptable, obviously. Mm -hmm. But they're starting to get more emboldened. And the fact that they're having these conversations about getting into higher positions of power should be concerning for everyone. Well, I'm glad you actually brought that up. So earlier in the show, we talked about QAnon. I mean, Mm -hmm. well. We didn't talk about QAnon. We talked about January 6th. And subsequently, that also means QAnon. Yeah. And something that a lot of these, I'm going to call them crazies, a lot of these crazies who follow and believe stuff related to QAnon do, is they run for small offices. Yeah. Like county commissioner. Or they run for offices like school board. And, I mean, I've seen stories across the country where these, these crazy people, these racist people, win very small elections, but they make a big deal because even the lowest elected official, Mm -hmm. let's say school board, has a huge impact on the community. Dog catcher. If you are elected to be dog catcher and you are a neo-Nazi, that's a big problem. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember like 
I was listening to some podcast that just broke down the QAnon movement. And, you know, they found that QAnon, you know, people that subscribe to QAnon or other far right beliefs start to fill up local offices first, Mm -hmm. city council, city school boards, you know, offices that people don't pay attention to, you know, things like, I don't know, coroner, engineer, recorder, clerk, you know, something that you have to pay attention for Mm -hmm. when you vote. I hope you know who you're voting for because a lot of local elections in some states and cities will not have that party ID next to people's names. They start to fill up these local offices, one, to gain experience in, you know, how the government works and governing, Mm -hmm. but also because it gets their name out there. And then they're going to hope that people just vote for them because they've seen their name on on the ballot before. So, Joe, real quick, how can you be an educated voter when there are so many government positions that we vote for? There are so many overlapping, like, areas of government. What can you do? What do, what do you do what, to be an educated voter? What do I do? I'll tell you, everybody, what I do next. Well, first off, I am very active in my local county party. As you should be. As you should be, because that's where, that's where a lot of things happen. Also, it's really great net- networking. So if you're in college, start going to your county central committee meeting. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, keeping up with local news. And I know local news, is re- it really is kind of on life support right now, because um, there's just not a lot of local papers anymore and they're all being bought up by bigger companies or national companies Mm -hmm. but keeping an eye out for those new stories because you'll start to see names pop up again and again and then you know you can learn about them either going to and this gets me into my third point going to city council meetings going to school board meetings i mean hell i know it'll be very boring going to zoning committee meetings or parks meetings you just offended everybody in the apa we're we're friends with the APA. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. CSU APA. Um, but yeah, I mean, staying involved in your local community is, is going to be how you stay informed because, you know, you a lot of people just don't know who they're voting for for city council. Mm-hmm. They're going to see the R or the D and just vote. So a perk, I would say, of being Gen Z is that all of us, even the people who don't use social media, we all have the know-how. To just find information on people. Yeah. Not like dirt, but like figure out who this person is. Figure out what they did in the past. Figure out, I mean, honestly, it's not hard to find people's opinions in 2023. Everybody gives their unsolicited opinion, myself included. Oh, yeah, me too. That's what this is pretty much. <laughs> so what I do coming leading up to election day, I utilize resources like Vote 411. Yeah. Or I mean, even Ballotpedia. Mm-hmm. But... My board of election, every board of election in Ohio pretty much has a sample ballot. Um, Your county party has a sample ballot. If you are wanting to vote for your party, you can see who they've endorsed, things like that. And you break it down using your sample ballot to see who is running. And I've not, I've never voted a straight ticket. I haven't either. And I say that all the time. I've never voted a straight party ticket ever in my life. I've never voted all Democrat. I've definitely never voted all Republican, but I've never voted all Democrat. And that's because I've looked up these people. I figured out this information. Yeah. And I know who I want to vote for. And that's, I'm, I'm quite proud of that. Yeah. And we've said it before that it's, there's more to being involved and being educated in our democracy than just voting when you can. Mm-hmm. It's doing things like you said, going to city council meetings, consuming local journalism. So if you're from Pickaway County, Ohio, reading the Circleville Herald. If you're from 
uh, Southern Columbus, read the Southwest Messenger, Southside Messenger. If you're from Columbus, read the Dispatch. If you're from Cleveland, read the Plain Dealer, if you if you can. Read the scene, actually. Read the Cleveland scene. Or Cleveland Signal. Or the Signal. But, I mean, there's a lot of, there is a lot of local journalism, especially in central Ohio, because that's where the seat of the government is. This is the best city in the state. <laughs> but it's it's not hard. It's mm-hmm. just you have to want to do it. Yeah. And we encourage everybody to want to do it. As policy wonkers, you go to a city zoning commission meeting. Take a picture and tag us, and we will retweet it. We will send it to Joe Biden's office. Yes. Can't guarantee he's going to respond, but we'll I send can it to promise him. you... We will print off that picture and send it to the White House. <laughs> this, this, is, this is actually true. We will do this. We will, I will make sure I we will do it. do that. We will make it a TikTok or something. Let's, let's move on out of Oklahoma. Ugh, Oklahoma. <laughs> and let's, let's talk about something that happened in Iowa this week. What's going on in the Great Plains state of Iowa? The Iowa Senate passed a child labor law at like 5 in the morning. That's so ironic. Why? Why is that ironic? Just, I assume it includes, like, increasing the number of hours that kids can work. But also, it's a lot of the time when kids are getting up for school, because school starts at, like, 6.30 in the morning, for whatever reason. So, they, they voted at 4.52 a.m. on a child labor law bill that would let 14-year-olds work six-hour night shifts. 15-year-olds to allow, allowing 15-year-olds to work on assembly lines, and it would allow 16- and 17-year-olds to serve alcohol, according to a more perfect union. Let's talk specifically about the assembly line one. <laughs> one. No! Um, as a labor advocate and a union organizer, mm-hmm. what the hell? What the hell? I don't know. I know we learn about the Industrial Revolution in high school mm-hmm. and middle school, but I don't think it's overstated how many like people died from just horrific workplace accidents, specifically children and also specifically like female kids, mm-hmm. women in general. You know, no, they got small hands. They had to work in the thing. And it's like we don't learn from history. And I'm not saying like, you know, companies are just going to let kids get maimed. On assembly lines, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you're starting to repeal regulations that are protecting children. Coming from the party that's so obsessed with protecting the kids, yeah, you're repealing laws and regulations that let them have a normal childhood. Right. Now, I started working when I was 15 and a half, whatever the legal age is to work in this state, because I wanted to just have some extra money. And I understand that there's situations where kids are going to have to work to help support their family. And Mm -hmm. that's super wrong. And that's not how it should be. But let kids be kids. A a, a 14-year-old should be most concerned with being up too late playing, like, Call of Duty or Minecraft. I'm the same way, and I'm 20. Like, (laughs) they shouldn't be concerned with the fact that they have to work a six-hour night shift. Right. You know. At, like, McDonald's. At McDonald's. Or, like, God forbid, Burger King or something. My God forbid. Because Burger King sucks. Oh. Enemy. Enemy of the pod? Fast food in America. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. (laughs) But anyways, when I was in school, 
and we were learning about history. We talked about how the children were picked to work on assembly lines because they had small hands. Mm -hmm. And their jobs were things like putting their hands into machines to get parts or something that like grown adults couldn't do because they had adult sized hands. Yeah. And it's crazy because we're just going to go right back to that. And one of the like heroes of the GOP, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was awesome. A progressive individual who got children out of places like assembly lines. Yeah. So Joe, what is your opinion on the 16 and 17 year olds serving alcohol? I don't really have, I can tell you what my concern is. I don't really know the concern totally. Just from like a place of ignorance. So my concern is when you are serving alcohol, I think of at a bar mm. or a restaurant in general. And when somebody's ordering alcohol, they have a chance to order too much. Mm. And then they get intoxicated. Intoxicated people in public don't make the best decisions, yeah. including flirting. If you're flirting with an 18-year-old, that's arguably fine. Yeah. But if you're a grown adult and you're flirting with a 16, 17-year-old, there's an issue there. Yeah. And that's, that's my concern. I think, I, I mean, I, was, I wasn't even thinking about that. I would hope that they're not hiring literal 16-year-olds to work in a bar. Bartenders. But, yeah, I mean, coming from experience, when I worked in a supermarket, you know, we had policies that we could deny to sell to people if we thought they were intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I was 19 at that point, so I was an adult and I was more comfortable with telling another person, I'm not, I'm not doing this because you're under the influence. I wouldn't expect a 16 or a 17 year old to tell a possibly intoxicated, much larger person than them. No, you can't buy this alcohol. I don't want to know how that person would react because, and again, when you're under the influence, you're not making very smart decisions. There are bills being debated across the country in state legislators, state legislatures that would loosen child labor laws, and they're all GOP-driven. I really don't know why this is suddenly a big thing now. Because, right? you know, I saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkin, Arkansas, Yeah, you know, one of the first states to, like, roll back some of its child labor protections. And now Iowa, and I think some... I think we're debating it. We probably are. And also, a lot of states... A lot of companies, and again, this is my opinion, don't follow child labor laws. I know of people who are, you know, they can work, but they're not of the age to, like, work certain hours that are definitely staying past the legal time limit that's set by the state government. So, you know, repealing the current laws is just making the situation worse. And, you know, before we wrap up, I really just want to reiterate, like, just let kids be kids. <laughs> Please let just let kids be kids. I love. I don't. I loved yeah. playing Minecraft. That was the only thing that I was concerned about in like seventh and eighth grade. So I'm like I said, I'm 20 years old. Oh, I still play Minecraft, of course. I but... still play Minecraft, and I. This is embarrassing because I play video games quite often. <laughs> I beat Minecraft for the first time in survival. Like I beat the Ender Dragon, and that was <laughs> this past summer. Oh my god. <laughs> I've still, I've never beaten. It's a core memory of mine. Mm. It's just great. And children, I mean, a lot more children have those core memories of like beating Minecraft for the first time, playing video games, playing outside, 
They can't have that if they go to school all day and then they have to go home and work a six-hour night shift. Yeah. It's absurd. It's nuts. It's nuts. But moving on to international news. What's going on in the land of Bavarian pretzels and beer? That's probably offensive to somebody, (laughs) but I'm of German descent, I think, so it's fine. So recently... uh, Germany has shut down its last three nuclear power plants, and I think this might actually be a situation where me and Kale differ. What do you mean? I'm a very big proponent of nuclear energy personally. I'm going to be entirely honest. I, to this day, I don't know enough about nuclear energy to consider it green energy or to not consider it green energy. So, and that's, you know, this is what this argument breaks down to in Germany. So. The German Green Party, obviously, is the Green Party. It is primarily focused on environmental issues. And it was an advocate for shutting down the country's remaining nuclear plants. Um, And, of course, they're not the only ones to blame. So is the Social Democratic Party, um, because they're in a coalition government. Mm -hmm. But there is no clear timeline for when they're going to get, you know, other green alternative power plants up and running, whether it's... I don't know, geothermal, uh, wind, solar. But what they have been doing is uh, really going all out with coal, and not just any kind of coal, specifically brown coal. Now, Angela Merkel, the former German chancellor. Rest in peace. Okay, she's not dead. (laughs) She's just not in power anymore. Rest in peace. Um, Friend of the pod. she, she, She approved a lot of coal projects under her uh leadership Mm -hmm. and brown coal specifically is like the dirtiest most inefficient form of coal energy you can use Mm -hmm. coal in general horrible make it a billion times worse and make it so unbelievably dirty and toxic that it's it's so hard to clean up after the fact that you've mined it out because it's soft and just really bad to work with Mm -hmm. and that is the kind of energy that is replacing these nuclear power plants and Germany has really been kind of the poster child of the switch to renewable and green energy and ditching carbon energy. Um, but I don't, I don't know how they can think that they can still be this poster child and tell the rest of, you know, the European Union or the United States or like Canada, you need to switch to green energy. Meanwhile, you shut down your last nuclear plant and you're using coal energy. It's really absurd. And even a lot of climate activists are disappointed. Many of them, and this is from a CNBC article, they quote uh, some activists as saying, the whole thing is, com- is incomprehensible. Scientists have said this. No- Nobel Prize winners, professors from MIT, Columbia, Harvard, you know, pleaded with the German government to keep these three reactors online. Mm-hmm. Because climate change is such an insane threat to not only, you know, Germany, but also human existence. Right. That you can't, you can't really be, you know, picking and choosing, like, what green energy you want to use. Mm-hmm. You know, frankly, nuclear energy is one of the most efficient forms of power production we've ever invented. It's super efficient, and it is very safe. And 
specifically, you know, these three power plants powered over 10 million homes in Germany, 10 million households. And trying to replace that energy production also in the midst of a gas crisis in Europe because of the war in Ukraine and how Russia's been blacklisted from the global oil market, essentially. It, it seems like it's making the situation worse. Right. Um, and I guess to kind of tie it into Ohio with what's happened with HB6, out in Lake County, we have the nuclear power plant in Perry, and it's old. It's over 20 years old, and the reactors have reached the end of their usefulness. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see Perry shut down. I want to see it renovated. Because, one, Perry is heavily re- reliant on the, um, the land tax or the um, property tax that the, the plant pays. Perry's school district is nuts. It is a very nice school district it's because of that nice. nuclear plant. But also, the Perry Power Plant provides, I think, over 200 jobs in Lake County. It's a lot of jobs. And that's a lot of jobs, and that's not nothing. People's livelihoods rely on that. Mm-hmm. We have to keep you know, our infrastructure up and running, but that also means updating it when needed. There should be, I think we do need to invest more in nuclear energy because I think it is a very safe and very efficient form of energy. It's also, it's also honestly, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> it's just really cool. When I think of nuclear energy, I think of The Simpsons. <laughs> That's just, I'm so painfully uneducated on the pros and cons of nuclear energy, but from what I know, I can argue that it's, it's a good transitional energy source mm-hmm. to, from coal and natural gas to relying on wind and solar. It's a good transitional source of energy. And that's, that's just from my uneducated perspective. Yeah. Um, but not to get too into the weeds about my love for nuclear power <laughs> um what's what's interesting is that certain sectors of germany's nuclear uh industry will still be operating um specifically they'll continue to be a first class a supplier in areas such as fuel fabrication and decommissioning mm-hmm. um, now i'm not sure if that means they'll just be fabricating like fuel se- or um, like control rods and you know like uranium pellets specifically mm-hmm. or if they're going to be involved in the process of creating material for nuclear weapons which would be really horrible you're so and again this is all just hypothetical imagine you shut down your last nuclear power plants because you're concerned about its effects on the environment and then you're making nuclear weapons oh you're not concerned about their effects on the environment but it's all so it's just a very absurd thing to happen Mm -hmm. it just seems like you're taking away this very viable useful efficient and safe form of carbon free energy just because you face pressure from a political party that honestly isn't super influential Mm -hmm. and also activists that a lot of the times don't know what they're talking about. You're not listening to scientists from MIT and Columbia. You're listening to, you know, activists. Not to downplay their role and their importance in politics, but you're not listening to scientists when you really should be, especially for nuclear power. It's honestly, it's pretty much rocket science. And you should be listening to the scientists that understand how it works. Mm-hmm. So 
we're running out of time. Yeah. Um. So is there anything else you want to add? I am so excited to see the land bridge get built. I'm so excited, so excited. for that land bridge. It might be like six or eight years from now, but I'm still going to be so excited when it opens. I'm so excited. I'm also so excited to watch the Cavs playing the rest of the NBA playoffs. Let them know. Let them know. But that's all I got. That's all I got. So we're uh, Policy Wonk and we're signing off. Policy Wonk Nation. We'll see you next time.